Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast. So now we are going to start with the uh, chapter of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban which is big book 3 of Harry Potter and the chapter name is The Dementor. Let's start. Tom woke Harry next morning with his usual toothless grin and a cup of tea. Harry got dressed and was just pursuing a disgruntled Hedwig to get back into her cage when Ron banged his way into the room, pulling a sweatshirt over his head and looking irritable. The sooner we get on the train, the better, he said. At least I can get away from Percy at Hogwarts. Now he's accusing me of dripping tea on his photo of Penelope Water. You know, Ron grimaced. His girlfriend, she's hidden her face under the frame because her nose has gone all blotchy. I've got something to tell you, Harry began. But they were interrupted by Fred and George, who had looked in to congratulate Ron on infuriating Percy again. They headed down to breakfast where Mr. Weasley was reading the front page of the Daily Prophet with a furrowed brow, and Mrs. Weasley was telling Hermione and Ginny about a love potion she's made as a young girl. All three of them were rather giggly. What? Were you saying? Ron asked Harry as he sat down. Later, Harry muttered as Percy stormed in. Harry had no chance to speak to Ron or Hermione in the hours of leaving. They were too busy heaving all their trunks down the leaky corridor's narrow staircase and piling them up near the door with Hedwig and Hermes. Percy squeezed out, squeezed out, perched on top in their cages. A small wicker walk basket stood beside the heap of trunks, spitting loudly. It's all right, Crookshanks. Hermione cooed through the wicker walk. I'll let you come on the train. You won't, snapped Ron. What about poor scabbers? Uh, he pointed at his chest, where a large lump indicated the scabbers was curled up in his pocket. Mr. Weasley, who had been outside waiting for the ministry cars, stuck, stuck his head inside. They're here, he said. Harry, come on. Mr. Weasley marched Harry across the short stretch of pavement towards the first of two old-fashioned dark green cars, each of which was driven by a furtive-looking wizard, wearing a suit of emerald velvet. In you get, Harry, said Mr. Weasley, glancing up and down the crowded street. Harry got into the back of the car and was shortly joined by Hermione, Ron, and Ron's disgust, Percy. The journey to King's Cross was very unwinchful compared to Harry's trip on the night's bus. The Ministry of Magic cars seemed almost ordinary, though Harry noticed that they could slide through gaps that Uncle Vernon's new company car certainly couldn't have managed. They reached King's Cross with 20 minutes to spare. The ministry drivers found them trolleys, unloaded their trunks, touched their hats to Mr. Weasley and drove away, somehow managing to jump to the head of an unmoving queue for the traffic lights. Mr. Weasley kept close to Harry's elbow all the way into the station. Right then, he said, glancing around them. Let's do this in pairs as they 
there were so many of us all go through first with Harry. Mr. Weasley strode toward the barrier between platforms 9 and 10, pushing Harry slowly and apparently very interested in the intensity 125 that had just arrived at platform 9. With a meaningful look at Harry, he leant casually against the barrier. Harry imitated him. And next moment, they had fallen sideways through the stolen metal on two platform nine and three quarters, and then looked up to see the Hogwarts Express, a scarlet steam engine puffing smoke over a platform packed with witches and wizards, seeing their children onto the train. Percy and Jimmy suddenly appeared behind Harry. They were panting and had apparently taken the barrier at a run. Ah, there's Sandlope, said Percy, smoothing his hair and going pink again. Ginny caught Harry's eye and they both turned away to hide their laughter as Percy strode over to a girl with long curly hair walking his chest thrown out so that she couldn't miss his tiny bag. Once the remaining Weasley and Hermione had joined them, Harry and Mr. Weasley led the way to the end of the train, past packed compartments to a carriage that looked quite empty. They loaded the trunks onto it, towed Hedwig and Crookshanks in the luggage rack, and they went back outside to say goodbye to Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. Mrs. Weasley kissed all, their, all her children, then Hermione, and finally Harry. She was embarrassed, but really quite pleased when she gave him an extra hug. Do take care, won't you, Harry? She said as she straightened up, her eyes only bright. Then she opened the enormous handbag and said, I've made you all sandwiches. Here you are, Ron. No, they're not corned. Beef, spread. Where's Fred? Here you are, dear. Harry, said Mrs. Be- Mr. Beasley quietly. Come over here a moment. He jerked his head toward the pillar and Harry followed him behind it. Leaving the others crowded around Mrs. Beasley. There's something I've got to tell you before you leave, said Mr. Beasley in a tense voice. It's all right, Mr. Beasley, said Harry. I already know. You know? How could you know? I, uh, I heard... You and Mrs. Weasley talking last night. I couldn't help hearing, Harry said quickly. Sorry, that's not the way I'd have chosen for you to find out, said Mr. Weasley, looking anxious. No, honestly, it's okay. This way you haven't broken your word to Fudge and I know what's going on. Harry, you must be, uh, must be very scared. I'm not, said Harry sincerely. Really, uh, he added because... Mr. Weasley was looking disbelieving. I'm not trying to be a hero, but seriously, Sirius Black can't be worse than Wolf the most, can he? Mr. Weasley flinched at the sound of the name, but Eva looked it. Harry, I knew you were, well, made of stronger stuff than Fudd seems to think, and I'm obviously pleased that you are not scared, but Arthur called Mr. Weasley who was now sheltering the rest onto the train. Arthur, what are you doing? It's about to go. He's coming, Molly, said Mr. Weasley, but he turned back to Harry and kept talking in a lower and more hurried voice. Listen, I want you to give me your word that 
I'll be a good boy and stay in the castle, said Harry gloomily. Not entirely, said Mr. Weasley, who looked more serious than Harry had ever seen him. Harry, swear to me you won't go looking for blood. Harry said, what? There was a loud whistle. Guards were walking along the train, slamming all the doors shut. Promise me, Harry, said Mr. Weasley, taking, talking more quickly still, that whatever happens, why would I go looking for someone I know wants to kill me? Said Harry blankly. Swear to me that whatever you might hear. Arthur quickly said, cried Mrs. Weasley. Steam was blowing, blowing from the train. It had started to move. Harry ran to the compartment door and Ron threw it open and stood back to let him on. They leant out of the window and waved at Mr. and Mrs. Weasley until the train turned a corner and blocked them from view. I need to talk to you in private, Harry muttered to Ron and Hermione as the train picked up speed. Go away, Ginny. Oh, that's nice, said Ginny huffily, and she stalked off. Harry, Ron, and Hermione set off down the corridor, looking for an empty compartment, but all were full except for one that, uh, one at the end, very end of the train. This one had one occupant, a man sitting fast asleep next to the window. Harry, Ron, and Hermione checked on the stair shoals. The Hogwarts Express usually was reserved for students, and they had never seen an adult there before except for the witch who pushed the food trolley. The stranger was wearing an extremely shabby cat set of wizard robes, which had been drawn down in several places. He looked ill and exhausted, though he seemed quite young. He, his light brown fair was flicked with grey. What do you reckon he is? Ron hissed as they sat down and slid the door shut, taking the seat farthest away from the window. Professor R.J. Lupin whispered Hermione once. What do you know that? How do you know that? It's on his case, replied Hermione, pointing at the luggage rack over the man's head, where there was a small battered case held together with a large quantity of neatly knotted string. The name Professor R.J. Lupin was stamped across one corner in peeling letters. Wonder what he teaches, said Ron, turning at Professor Lupin's pallid profile. That's obvious, whispered Hermione. There's only one vacancy, isn't it? There. Defense against the dark arts. Harry, Ron, and Hermione had already had two defense against the dark arts teacher, both of them whom had only lasted one year. There were rumors that the job was jinxed. Well, I hope he's up to it, said Ron doubtfully. He looks like one good hex. Would finish him off, well, doesn't he? Anyway, he turned to Harry. What were you going to tell us? Harry explained all about Mr. and Mrs. Weasley's argument and the warning Mr. Weasley had just given him. When he had finished, Ron looked thunderstruck and Hermione had her hands over her mouth. She finally lowered them to say, Peter's plan escaped to come after you. Oh, Harry, you'll have to be really, really careful. Don't go looking for trouble, Harry. I don't go looking for trouble, said Harry Nettles. Trouble usually finds me. How thick would Harry have to be to go looking for Nutter who wants to kill him? 
said Ron shakily. They were taking the news worse than ever Harry had expected. Both Ron and Hermione seemed to be much more frightened of Flag than he was. No one knows how he got out of Azkaban, said Ron uncomfortably. No one's ever done it before, and he was a top security prisoner too. But they'll catch him, won't they? said Hermione earnestly. I mean, they've got all the muggles looking out for him too. What's that noise? said Ron suddenly. A faint, tinny sort of whistle was coming from somewhere. They looked all around the compartment. It's coming from your trunk, Harry, said Ron, standing up and reaching into the luggage rack. A moment later, he had pulled the pocket microscope out from between Harry's robe. It was spinning very fast in the palm of Ron's hand and glowing brilliantly. Is that a microscope? said Hermione interestedly, standing up for a better look. Yeah, mind you, it's a very cheap one, said Ron. It went haywire just as I was trying it to Errol's leg to send it to Harry. Where you were you going? Were you doing anything untrustworthy at the time? said Hermione shrilly. No, well, I wasn't supposed to be using Errol. You know, he's not really up to long journeys, but how else was I supposed to get Harry present to him? Take it back in the the trunk, Harry advised, as the sneaker scope whistled piercingly, or it'll wake him up. He nodded towards Professor Lupin. Ron stuffed the sneaker scope into a particularly horrible pair of Uncle Vernon's old stocks which deadened the sound then closed the lid of the trunk onto it on it we could get it checked in hogsmeade said ron sitting back down they sell that sort of thing in dervish and banks magical instruments and stuff prison George told me do you know much about hogsmeade asked hermione keenly i read it's the only entirely non-mogul settlement in britain I think it, yeah, I think it is, said Ron in an offhand sort of way, but that's not why I want to go. I just want to get inside Hundak. What's that, said Hermione. It's the sweet shop, said Ron, a dreamy look coming over his face, where they've got everything, paper, pepper, limbs, they make you smoke at the mouth and great pot chocobos full of strawberry mouse and clove cream and really excite excellent sugar quills which you can suck in class and just look like you're thinking what to write next but Hogsmeade's a very interesting place isn't it Hermione pressed and on eagerly inside of historical sorcery it says that in was the headquarters for the 1612 goblin rebellion and the shrieking shark supposed to be the most severely haunted building in britain and massive sherbet balls that make you levitate a few inches off the ground while you're sucking them said ron who was plainly not listening to a word hermione was saying Hermione looked around at Harry. Won't it be nice to get out of school for a bit and explore Hogsmeade? Spectacles, 
said Harry heavily. You'll have to tell me when you found out. What do you mean, said Ron? Can't, I can't go without we didn't sign my permission form and Fudge won't either. Ron looked horrified. You're not allowed to come. No way, McGonagall or someone will give you permission. Harry gave a hollow laugh. Professor McGonagall head of Gryffindor House was very strict. Or we can ask Fred and George. They know every secret passage out of the castle. Ron, said Hermione sharply. I don't think Harry should be sneaking out of school with black on the loose. Yeah, I expect that's what McGonagall will say when I ask for permission, said Harry bitterly. But if were we are with him, said Ron directly to Hermione, black will Dare, oh Ron, don't talk rubbish, snapped Hermione. Black's already murdered a whole bunch of people in the middle of a crowded street. Do you really think he's going to worry about attacking Harry just because we're there? She was fumbling with the straps of Klukshank's basket as she spoke. Don't let the thing out, Ron said, but too late, Krukshank leapt lightly from the basket, stretched, yawned, and sprang onto Ron's knees, the lamp in Ron's pocket trembled, and he showed Crookshank angrily away. Get off it, out of it. Ron, don't, said Hermione angrily. Ron was about to answer back when Professor Lupin stared. They watched him apprehensively, but he simply turned his head the other way, mouth slightly open, and slipped on. The Hogwarts Express moved steadily north and the scenery outside the window became wilder and darker while the clouds overhead thickened. People were chasing backwards and forwards past the door of their compartment. Crookshanks had now settled in an empty seat. His squashed face turned towards Ron, his yellow eyes on Ron's top pocket. At one o'clock, the plump witch with the full trolley arrived at the compartment door. Do you think we should wake him up? Ron asked awkwardly, nodding towards Professor Lupin. He looked like he could do him do he could do with some food. Hermione approached Professor Lupin cautiously. Ah, uh, Professor, she said. Excuse me, Professor. He didn't move. Don't worry, dear, said the witch, as she handed Harry a large tag of cold on cake. If he's hungry, when he wakes, I'll be in I'll be up front with the driver. I suppose he's asleep, said Ron quietly, as the witch slid the compartment door closed. I mean, he hasn't died, has he? No, no, he's breathing, whispered Hermione, taking the cauldron cake. Harry passed him. He might not be very good company, but Professor Lupin's presence in their compartment had its uses. Mid-afternoon, just as it had started to rain, blurring the rolling hills outside the window. They heard footsteps in the corridor again, and their three least favorite people appeared at the door. Draco Malfoy, flanked by his cronies, Winston Crabbe and Gregory Goyle. Draco Malfoy and Harry had been enemies ever since they had met on their first train journey to Hogwarts. Malfoy, who had a pale, pointed, sneering face, was in Slytherin House. He played speaker on the Slytherin Quidditch team, the same position that Harry played in the Gryffindor team. Crabbe and Goyle seemed to exist to do Malfoy's bidding. 
they were built wide and muscly. Crab was the taller, with a pudding basin, haircut, and a very thick neck. Goyal had short, bristly hair and long gorilla arms. Well, look who it is, said Malfoy in his usually lazy drawl, pulling open the compartment door. Potty and the Beagle, Crab and Beagle, Crab and the Goyal chuckled drollishly. I heard your father finally got his hands on some gold this summer, Weasley, said Malfoy. Did you did your mother die for, of shock? Ron stood up so quickly he knocked Crookshank's uh, basket to the floor with the lupin gave a snort. Who's that? said Malfoy, taking an automatic step backwards as he spotted Lupin. New teacher, said Harry, who had got to his feet too, in case he needed to hold Ron back. What were you saying, Malfoy? Malfoy's pale eyes narrowed. He wasn't fool enough to pick a fight right under a teacher's nose. Come on, he muttered, reaching fully to Crab and Goyle, and they disappeared. Harry and Ron sat down again, Ron massaging his knuckles. I'm not going to take any rubbish from Malfoy this year, he said angrily. I mean, if he makes any more crack about my family, I'm going to get hold of his head and... Ron made a violent gesture in mid-air. Ron hissed Hermione, pointing at Miss Professor Lupin. Be careful, but Professor Lupin was still fast asleep. The rain thickened as the rain sped yet further north. The windows were now a solid shimmering grey, which gradually darkened until lanterns flickered into light along the corridors. And over the luggage racks, the train rattled the rain, hammered the wind, rode, but still Professor Lupin slept. He must be nearly there, said Ron, leaning forward to look past Professor Lupin as the now completely blank window. The words had hardly left him when the train started to slow down. Brilliant, said Ron, getting up and walking carefully past Professor Lupin to try and see outside and Darwin. I want to get to the feast. She can't be there yet, said Hermione, checking her watch. So why are we stopping? The train was getting slower and slower as the noise of the Porsche pistons fell away. The wind and rain sounded louder than ever against the windows. Harry, who was nearest the door, got up to look into the corridor all along the carriage. Carriage. Head was striking curiously out of their compartment. The train came to a stop with the jolt, and distant thuds and bangs told them that luggage had fallen out of the racks. Then, without warning, all the lamps went out, and they were plunged into total darkness. What's going on? said Ron's voice from behind Harry. Out! gasped Hermione. Ron, that was my foot. Harry felt his way back to his feet. Do you think we've broken down? Don't know. There was a squeaking sound and Harry saw the dim black outline of Ron whipping a patch clean on the window and peering out. There's something moving up there, Ron said. I think people are coming abroad. The compartment door suddenly opened and someone fell painfully over Harry's leg. Sorry, do you know what's going on? Out, sorry. Hello, Neville, said Harry, feeling around in the dark and pulling Neville up by his cloak.
Harry, is that you? What's happening? No idea. Sit down. There was a loud hissing and a yelp of pain. Neville had tried to sit on Crookshanks. I'm going to go and ask the driver what's going on, came Hermione's voice. Harry felt her pass him, heard the door slide open again, and then a thud of two loud squeals of pain. Who's that? Who's that? Ginny? Hermione, what are you doing? I was looking for Ron. Come in and sit down. Not here, said Harry hurriedly. I'm here. Out, said Neville. Quite, said a Howard's voice suddenly. Professor Lupin appeared to have woken up at last. Harry could hear movements in his corner. None of them spoke. There was a soft crackling noise and a shivering light filled the compartment. Professor Lupin appeared to be holding a handful of flames. They illuminated his tired, grey face, but his eyes looked alert and weary. Stay where you are, he said in the same hoarse voice, and he got slowly to his feet and his handful of fire held out in front of him. But the door slid slowly open before Lupin could reach it, standing in the doorway. Illuminated by the shivering flames in Lupin's hand was a cloaked figure that towered to the ceiling, its face was completely hidden beneath its hood. Harry's eyes darted downwards, and what he saw made his stomach contract. There was a hand protruding from the cloak, and it was glistening grayish, slimy looking and stabbed, like something dead that had decayed in water. It was only for a split second, as though creature beneath the cloak changed Harry's gaze. The hand was suddenly withdrawn into the folds of the black material, and then the thing beneath the hood, whatever it was, drew a long, slow rattling beneath as though it was trying to suck something more than air from its surroundings. An intense cold swept over them all. Harry felt his own breath catch in his chest. The cold went deeper than his skin. It was inside his chest, it was inside his very heart. Harry's eyes rolled up into his head. He couldn't see he was drawing, drowning in cold. There was a rushing in his ears as though of as though water. He was being dragged downwards, the roaring growing louder, and then from far away he heard screaming terrible, terrified, pleading screams. He wanted to help whoever it was. He tried to move his arms, but couldn't. A thick white frog was swirling around him, inside him. Harry, Harry, are you all right? Someone was slapping his face. What? Harry opened his eyes. There were lanterns above him, and the floor was shaking. The Hogwarts Express was moving again, and the light had come back on. He seemed to have slid out of his seat onto the floor. Ron and Hermione were kneeling knee next to him, and above them he could see Neville and Professor Lupin watching. Harry felt very sick when he put up his hand to push his glasses back on. He felt cold sweat on his face. Ron and Hermione, he was back onto his seat. Are you okay? Ron asked nervously. Yeah said Harry, looking quickly towards the door. The hooded creature had vanished. What happened? 
is that the thing who screams, no one screams, said Ron more nervously still. Harry looked around the bright compartment, Ginny and Neville looked back at him, both very pale, but I heard screaming, a loud snap made them all jump, Professor Lupin was breaking an enormous slab of chocolate into pieces. Here, he said to Harry, handing him a particularly large piece, eat it, it will help. Harry took the chocolate but didn't eat it. What was this thing? he asked Lupin. A Dementor, said Lupin, who was now giving chocolate to everyone else, one of the Dementors of Asteban. Everyone stared at him. Professor Lupin crumpled up the empty chocolate wrapper and put it in his pocket. Eat, he repeated. It will help. I need to speak to the driver. Excuse me. He strolled past Harry and disappeared into the corridor. Are you sure you're okay, Harry? said Hermione, watching Harry anxiously. I didn't get it. What happened? said Harry, whipping more sweat off his face. Well, that thing, the Dementor, stood there and looked around. I mean, I think it did. I could not see its face. And you, you, I thought you were having a fit or something, said Ron, who still looked scared. You went sort of rigid and fell out of seats and started twitching. And Professor Lupin stepped over you and walked towards the Dementor and pulled out his wand and said Hermione. And he said, none of us is hiding serious black under our clothes. Go. But the Dementor didn't move, so Lupin muttered something and a silvery thing shot out of his wand as at it and it turned round and sort of glided away. It was horrible, said Neville in a higher voice than usual. Did you feel how good and how cold it went when it came in? I felt weird. Said Ron, shifting his shoulders uncomfortably, like I'd never been cheerf- be cheerful again. Ginny, who was huddled in her corner, looking nearly as bad as Harry felt, gave a small sob. Hermione went over and put a comforting arm around her. But didn't any of you fall off your seats? Said Harry awkwardly. No, said Ron, looking anxiously at Harry again. Ginny was shaking like mad, though. Harry didn't understand. He felt weak and shivery, as though he was recovering from a bad bout of flu. He also felt the beginnings of shame. Why had he gone to pieces like that when no one else had? Professor Lupin had come back. He paused as he entered, looked around and said, with a small smile, I haven't poisoned the chocolate, you know. Harry took a bite and, to his great surprise, felt warmth spread suddenly to his tips of his fingers and toes. We'll be at Hogwarts ten minutes in ten minutes, said Professor Lupin. Are you all right, Harry? Harry didn't ask how Professor Lupin knew his name. Fine, he muttered, embarrassed. They didn't talk much during the remainder of the journey. At long last, the train stopped at Hogsmeade Station, and there was a great scramble to get out. Owl tooted, cat meowed, and Neville's pet toad croaked loudly from under his hat. It was freezing on the tiny platform. Rain was driving down an icy sheet. 
purchased this very cold, a familiar voice. Harry, Ron, and Hermione turned and saw the gigantic outline of Hagrid at the other end of the platform, beckoning and terrified, looking new students forward for their traditional journey across the lake. All right, you three, Hagrid yelled over the heads of the crowd. They waved at him but had no chance to speak to him because the mass of people around them were shunting them away along the platform. Harry, Ron, and Hermione followed the rest of the school out onto a rough mud track where at least a hundred paid coaches awaited the remaining students each post. Harry could only assume by an invisible horse because when they climbed inside only one and shut the door, the coach set off all by itself, bumping and swaying in procession. The coat smelled faintly of mud and straw. Harry felt better since the chocolate, but still weak. Ron and Hermione kept looking at him sideways as though frightened he might collapse again as the carriage trundled towards a pair of magnificent wood iron gates flanked with stone columns topped with wind bows. Harry saw two more towering hooded dementors standing guard on either side. A wave of cold sickness threatened to engulf him again. He leant back into the lumpy seat and closed his eyes until they had passed through the gate. The carriage picked up speed on the long sloping drive up to the castle. Hermione was leaning out of the tiny window watching the many turrets and towers drew near, draw nearer. At last the carriage swayed to a halt and Hermione and Ron got out. As Harry stepped down, a drawling, delighted voice sounded in his ear. You fainted, Potter. Is Longbottom telling the truth? You actually fainted. Malfoy elbowed past Hermione to block Harry's way up the stone steps to the castle. His face gleeful and his pale eyes glinting maliciously. Shove off, Malfoy, said Ron, whose jaw was clenched. Did you faint as well, Weasley? said Malfoy loudly. Did the scary old Dementor frighten you too, Weasley? Is there a problem, said a mild voice, Professor Lupin had just got out of the next carriage. Malfoy gave Professor Lupin an innocent, insolent stare which took in the patches on his robe and the dilapidated suitcase with a tiny hint of sarcasm in his voice. He said, oh no, uh, Professor, then he smelted crab and goyle and led them up the steps into the castle. Hermione prodded Ron in the back to make him hurry, and the three of them joined the crowd swarming up the steps through the giant oak front doors and into the cavernous entrance hall, which was lit with flaming torches and housed magnificent marble staircase which led to the upper floors. The door where into the great hall stood open at the right. Harry followed the crowd towards it, but had barely glimpsed in the enchanted ceiling, which was black and cloudy tonight, when a voice called, Potter, Granger, I want to see you both. 
Harry and Hermione turned around, surprised Professor McGonagall's transfiguration teacher and head of Gryffindor House was calling over the heads of the crowd. She was a stern-looking witch who wore her hair in a tight bun. Her sharp eyes were framed with square spectacles. Harry fought his way over to her with a feeling of foreboding. Professor McGonagall had a way of making him feel he must have done something wrong. There's no need to look so worried. I just want a word in my office, she told them. Move along there, Weasley. Ron stared at Professor McGonagall. You shared Harry and Hermione away from the tattling crowd. They campaigned her across the entrance hall at the marble staircase and along the corridor. Once they were in her office, a small room with a large welcoming fire, Professor McGonagall motioned Harry and Hermione to sit down. She settled herself behind her desk and said abruptly, Professor Lupin sent an owl ahead to say that you were taken ill on the train porter. Before Harry could reply, there was a soft knock on the door and Madame Pomfrey the matron came bustling in. Harry felt himself going red in the face. It was bad enough that he'd passed out or whatever he had done without everyone making all this fuss. I'm fine, he said. I didn't need anything. Oh, it's you, is it? said Madame Pomfrey, ignoring this and bending down to stare closely at him. I suppose you've been doing something dangerous again. It was a dementor, Poppy, said Professor McGonagall. They exchanged a dark look and Madame Pomfroy clucked disapprovingly. Sitting dementors around the school, she muttered, pushing Harry's hair back and feeling his forehead. He won't be the first one who collapses. Yes, he'll all clammy. Terrible things they are and the effect they have on people who are already delicate. I'm not delicate, said Harry crossly. Of course you're not, said Professor McGonagall, cemently. Now, taking his part. What does he need, said Professor McGonagall crisply. Bed rest should be perhaps spent tonight in the hospital wing. I'm fine, said Harry, jumping up. The idea of what Dragomarfoy would say if he had to go to the hospital wing was torture. Well, he should have some chocolate at the very least, said Madame Bonfoy, who was now crying to peer into Harry's eyes. I've already had some, said Harry. Professor Lupin gave me some. He gave it to all of us. But he now, said Madame Bonfoy approvingly. So we've finally got a defense against the dark arts teacher who knows his remedies. Are you sure you feel all right, Potter? said Professor McGonagall sharply. Yes, said Harry. Very well. Kindly wait outside while I have a quick word with Miss Granger about her timetable. Then we can go down to the feast together. Harry went back into the corridor and with Madame Pomfroy, who left the hospital ring, muttering to herself. He only had to wait a few minutes when Hermione emerged looking very happy about something followed by Professor McGonagall and the three of them made their way back down the marble staircase to the great hall. It was a sea of pointed black hats, each of them 
long house tables was lined with students their faces glimmering by the light of thousands of candles which were floating over the tables in mid-air professor flitwick who was a tiny little wizard with a shirk of white hair was carrying an ancient hat and a three-legged stool out of the hall oh said hermione softly we missed it sorting new students at hogwarts were sorted into the house this by trying on the sorting hat which shouted out they were best suited to Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff or Slytherin. Professor McGonagall strode off towards her empty seat at the staff table and Harry and Hermione set off in the other direction as quickly as possible. Towards the Gryffindor table, people looked around at them as they passed along the back of the hall and a few of them pointed at Harry had the story of him collapsing in front of the Dementor traveled that fast. He and Hermione sat down on either side of Ron, who had saved them feet. What was the, all that about? she muttered to Harry. Harry started to explain in a whisper, but at that moment the headmaster stood up to speak and he broke off. Professor Dumbledore, though very cold, old, always gave an impression of great energy he had several feet of long silver hair and beard half moon spectacles and an extremely cribbed nose he was often described as the greatest wizard of the age but that wasn't why harry respected him you couldn't help trusting out his dumbledore and as harry watched him beaming around at the students he felt really calm for the first time since the Dementor had entered the frame compartment. Welcome, said Dumbledore, the candlelight shimmering on his beard. Welcome to another year at Hogwarts. I have a few things to say to you all, and as one of them is very serious, I think it's best to get it out the way before you come be fuddled by our excellent speech. Dumbledore cleared his throat and continued. As you will be aware, after the research of Hogwarts Express, our school is presently playing host of some of the Dementors of Azkaban, who are here on Ministry of Magic business. He paused, and Harry remembered what Mr. Weasley had said about Dumbledore not being happy with the Dementors guarding the school. They are stationed at every entrance to the ground dumbledore continued and while they were they are with us i must make it plain that nobody is to leave school without permission the mentors are not to be fooled by tricks or excuses or even invisibility cloaks he added blandly and harry and ron glanced at each other it is not in the nature of a dementor to understand pleading or excuses I therefore warn each and every one of you to give them no reason to harm you. I look to the prefect and our new head boy and head girl to make sure that no student runs foul of the Dementors. Percy, who was sitting a few feet along from Harry, puffed off out his chest again and stared around impressively. Dumbledore paused again. He looked very seriously around the hall and nobody moved or made a sound on a happier note he 
continued. I'm pleased to welcome two new teachers to our ranch this year. Firstly, Professor Lupin, who has kindly consented to fill the post of Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. There was some scattered, rather enthusiastic applause. Only those who had been in the compartment on the train with Professor Lupin clapped hard and hurry among them. Professor Lupin looked particularly shabby next to all the other teachers in their best robes. Look at Snape, Ron hissed in Harry's ear. Professor Snape, the potions master, was staring along the staff table at Professor Lupin. It is common knowledge that Snape wanted the defense against the dark arts job, but even Harry, who hated Snape, was startled at their expression, twisting the spin in his thin, swallow, sallow face. He was beyond anger. It was loathing. Harry knew the expression only too well. It was the look Snape wore every time he set eyes on Harry. As for a second new appointment, Dumbledore continued, as lukewarm applause for Lupin died away. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that Professor Kettleburn, a care of magical creatures teacher, retired at the end of last year in order to enjoy more time with his remaining limbs. However, I'm delighted to say that his place will be filled by none other than Rubius Hagrid, who has agreed to take on this teaching job in addition to his gamekeeping duties. Harry, Ron, and Hermione stared at each other stunned. Then they joined in with the applause which was tumultuous at the Gryffindor table in particular. Harry leant forward to see Hagrid, who was really red in the face and staring down at his enormous hands, his wide grin hidden in the tangle of the black beard. We should have known, Ron wrote, pounding the table. Who else would have such a biting book? Harry, Ron, and Hermione were the last to stop clapping, and as Professor Dumbledore started speaking again, they saw that Hagrid was wiping his eyes on the tablecloth. Well, I think that's everything of importance, said Dumbledore. Let us let the feast begin. The golden plates and goblins before them filled suddenly with food and drink. Harry, suddenly ravenous, held himself to everything he could reach and began to eat. It was a delicious feast. The hall echoed with talk, laughter, and the clatter of knives and forks. Harry, Don, and Hermione, however, were eager for it to finish so that they could talk to Hagrid. They knew how much being made a teacher would mean to him. Harry wasn't, Hagrid wasn't a fully qualified wizard. He had been expelled from Hogwarts in his third year for a crime he had not committed. It had been Harry, Ron, and Hermione who had cleared Hagrid's name last year. At long last, when the last Morsels of pumpkin tart had melted from the golden platter. Dumbledore gave the word that it was time for them all to go to bed, and they got their chance. Congratulations, Hagrid Hermione squealed as they reached the teacher's table. All down to you three, said Hagrid, wiping his shiny face on his napkin. He looked up at them. Can't believe it. 
great man, Dumbledore, came straight down to me my head after Professor Kettleburn said he'd had enough. It's what I always wanted. Overcome with emotion, he buried his face in his napkin and Professor McGonagall showed them away. Hurried on in her mind, he joined the Gryffindor screaming up the marble staircase and very tired now along more corridors up more and more stairs to the hidden entrance to Gryffindor Tower, a large portrait of sad lady in a pink dress asked him, Password, coming through, coming through, Percy yelled from behind the crowd. The new password for Tuna Major. Oh no, said Neville Longbottom. Sadly, he always had trouble remembering, remembering the password. Though the portrait hall and across the common room, the girls and boys divided towards their separate staircases. Harry climbed the spiral staircase with no thought in his head except how glad he was to be back. They reached their familiar circular dormitory with his with its five four poster beds and looking around looking around felt he was home at last okay everybody this chapter is finished and we are going to start our next chapter which is tailings and tea leaves in our next podcast till then thank you for listening